The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Natalie Miller, knows about as much a about the spiritual processes of death and birth as is, it's possible to know on this side of the veil. After her own near-death and near-death-like experiences, she was told to know death. And for 33 years, she has done that both professionally and spiritually. Today, she's a grief and bereavement coordinator for the Mission Hospice Society in Mission, British Columbia. More amazingly, however, is the gift she received from her NDE to communicate with souls in the process of birth and of death and the ability she was given to aid in their transition from soul to body and back again. One technique she employs in her role as transporter is quilt making, combined with meditative, meditative prayer. And amazingly, her son shares many of Natalie's abilities as well. Natalie, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you. It's a privilege. And um, perhaps we could start with uh, your description of the two uh, NDE-like experiences that you had? Mm-hmm. So the first one was when I was 17, and uh, I was upstairs in my room, and I all of a sudden came out of my body and went through the tunnel. Uh, more than anything else, it was more the feeling. So being an empath, um, it's not so much what I see or hear, it's what I feel. Um, and when I had that experience, I, I knew nothing about near-death experiences at the time. And um, I was told when I came back with the message to know death well. So in doing so, I studied death and dying for 33 years. And along with uh, the studying, I've had different experiences on my own that I learned from. At the age of 30, I had another near death, at which time I didn't want to come back. And um, at that time, I had two uh, little little babies at home. And uh, when I came back, um, I wasn't too happy. But then being in human form, I guess, um, I had to deal with the guilt of not coming back, of not wanting to come back for my two boys. So um, that was a process in itself of having to work with the guilt. Um, I've had the ability to help people cross over who um, are uh, physically dead, but that are still lingering for one reason or another. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much the gist. Um, (laughs) I've also had the ability to... um, if someone who is dear to me passing, I have also experienced their passing. And the experience, uh, let's say, 24 hours prior and during the passing. Um, it does, that does not happen too often, thank goodness, because mm. it's, uh, it takes its toll. <laughs> yeah. Do you travel with them to the other side when that happens? Do I what? Sorry? Do you feel like you're traveling with them to the other side? Is it a shared death experience? Well, more my gift is not so much um, being in the light with them. 
My gift is to help them let go here so they can move forward into the light. So once the light comes for them, my job is done. Do you feel that you're preparing them for the light or are you encouraging the light to come for them? No, I am preparing them for the light when it comes. Absolutely. Some people, they may be on their deathbed and it's maybe taking days, weeks, or even months. And they're not able to let go and there's something that's holding them back. And the majority of the time, it's self-forgiveness. So it's something that they they have regret or they you know they they haven't been able to forgive themselves for a certain thing and then once we work with that energy then we can turn that around pray for them send them love some people call it meditation um and we and we then we help them be ready for when the light does come for them it was uh your nde experience that put you on this course i guess did you hear a, or did you sense a voice telling you to know death? And what, did you see any beings or uh, feel the presence of any? I, I don't know. What I saw was light beings. Light beings. More light beings, and and how that, um, how I can explain it, it was us in our truest form. Hmm. So were these people that you were, or souls, rather, rather than, yes. say, some yes, sort of angelic are, are being? Souls. Yes, they're okay. souls that have passed, who, it, in my experience, uh, have gone back home. Do you think they were um, anticipating your working with relatives or family, or was this just a general request that you know death? This was just a general request. When I was very, very young, uh, I must have been about three years old, my grandfather had passed away. And I remember everyone being very sad in the room. And everyone was afraid that I was going to, you know, that I shouldn't see him because they thought, well, she's only three, she won't remember. But my perspective was a joyous occasion at the deathbed. I felt I wanted to go and feel his body. I felt he was going back home. So I already knew from a uh, a young age that I was able to uh, experience something different than what others around me were experiencing. So then with that ability in my teenage years, I chose to turn off that ability only because when you're a teenager, it's kind of difficult to feel like you belong and then at 17 I had that near death and that's when I realized that the gift was not a curse but a gift and how do souls say it's I I mean I guess we could refer to them as ghosts if they're still on this uh, plane Um, how do they contact you it nor in the past it used to be normally through lucid dreaming. So th- through dream is where we would do a lot of the healing work. And then as I got older and started volunteering with hospice, I noticed that I was able to do this in daytime. So there would be an occasion if I'm walking down the halls in hospice, uh, I would get what you would call a, a calling, or a, I was drawn to a certain patient. And, um, for instance, um, I, I would walk into the room and, of course, 
even though they are unconscious or in a coma, um, I would be, have sometimes the ability to connect with them when I've touched them so we could communicate. And then I would ask, what's holding you here? And then they would proceed to tell me. Mm. Even though they were in a coma? I have had, it hasn't happened often, but it has happened where I have been able to to find them through uh, uh, unconsciousness state, yes. And you've dealt with souls that have been around for a long time? Yes. the Some of the oldest souls that I have worked with, which was very difficult, um, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit, I in, in the art that I produce, those souls come to me and they either need help to pass over and or they would like their story told in the quilt and it is either given to a loved one as a gift after their passing or I'm privileged and honored to keep that quilt. So uh, one uh, occasion I was working on a quilt and it was called Voices from Africa. And um, it is now hanging in a hospital in Uganda. But while I was making that quilt, I kept getting these visions of a very um, ill woman. And as time went on, I realized this woman was a soul that was still stuck in Auschwitz. Mm. And so I was asked to produce a quilt, and I refused. I refused for for a long time. I I didn't feel worthy of making this quilt. I had no background of uh, German ancestry or Jewish ancestry, and I really felt because of uh, where I was in my life, I thought, you know, who am I to produce such a very uh, serious quilt? But after them constantly, you know, saying, no, we want you to do this, I, I finally agreed and... Um, said, well, I have to study Auschwitz first. So I proceeded to study Auschwitz. But meanwhile, coincidences were happening. So one day my son came home and he says to me, Mom, we have the, uh, the, Holocaust president, the, the Holocaust president of the Vancouver chapter coming to our school tomorrow. And I thought, mm. oh, okay. So I did end up meeting him. Um, and the quilt that is made called Voices from Auschwitz, uh, his aunt's story is on that quilt. Mm. So it was the most difficult quilt I've ever had to do by far. Where's that quilt now? That quilt is in my uh, being. It's, it's with me. Um, I have shown it to the uh, Ions in Vancouver. I have shown it to a um, group that I facilitate through hospice um, called Afterlife Conversations. Mm. And so that quilt, and I also have solo art shows in, in that, that I've uh, showed, and so the quilt is a teaching quilt. Having said that, this particular quilt is unfinished. There is very, very old barbed wire on this quilt. And at the end, when the quilt top was finished and the quilting itself was finished, the old rusted barbed wire was put onto this quilt. And as soon as I had done that, I had stopped all the voices. So 
So it was very overwhelming for me because I feel usually their pain, and that is what is put in the stories. So I feel their pain, and when I put the barbed wire on, the feeling and the listening and the hearing and the seeing stopped. It was probably the loudest silence I have ever experienced. And I felt like I was shutting them all up. You know, my um, son-in-law's brother works at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. It would be interesting if they put it on display for a while with this story attached because there are a lot of people, I think, who do not necessarily believe our souls go on and it might be a comfort to them knowing that the people that suffered so greatly in Auschwitz uh, mm-hmm. continue, you know, mm-hmm. as on the other mm-hmm. side. Um, so someone from the 1940s was probably the earliest soul that you've dealt with? Uh, yes. I'm, you know what? I'm going to say yes. Um, that I can remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's normally traumatic situations of um, suicides, uh, violent deaths that you uh, find you have to deal with? Not always, but being on the hospice floor, the majority of patients there have had a long illness. And they've had a long time to grieve through that process. They've had a long time to prepare for their death. And by the time they are at their active stage of dying, they are at peace. So many times, yes, you are right. It is many times more, um, it could be um, sudden death, traumatic death, um, but not always, not always. But ideally, if, if people would think about their death and dying process more, it would help in their process. Mm-hmm. You know, the Catholics have this this um, idea of a purgatory as a temporary place of um, suffering or maybe not so much suffering, but separation from God. Do you see the ghostly realm as a form of purgatory? And do you um, do you think that um, uh, prayer? You know, the early Catholics believed that praying for a deceased person helped them to to go into the light. Do you think that's possible for not just for your own ability, but for um, anyone's ability to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's very, we, you know, the funeral business for a long time took a lot of the process away from us. And so now we're kind of at the end stage where people are saying, you know what, don't have a service for me. Don't, don't do anything. Don't spend a dime on, on my death. But what I see is in the process of having that memorial or that celebration of life, the people come together and they help each other grieve. And that is very, very important. For some people, um, if they are stuck and if if no one is thinking about them and, and if they're stuck and they're feeling not worthy of going towards that light, imagine having a celebration of life where we talk about that person. 
we tell we we tell about the stories that you know okay maybe if he was an addict in his later year years or an alcoholic in his later years you know at one time he was a five year old boy and and even though yes he might have been an alcoholic but we don't know his every day of every moment he might have helped up he might have helped another homeless person along the way that we just don't see but it is so important to to have those memories and and when we do think of those things um it does help absolutely every time Eli Wiesel wrote a book about the holocaust and i remember him being interviewed and he remember i remember him saying that there are souls still there mm. and every time he puts pen to paper he helps those souls because somebody reads them and they think about those souls and it does help absolutely yes do i believe in purgatory no i do not believe in a place where people go and uh you know there in my experience from what i experienced it was an incredible incredible unconditional loving light and i could not ever imagine that light uh having judgment i i don't i think our biggest problem is we choose to turn away from it more than anything well yes the purgatory certainly could be of, of our own making mm-hmm. do, do you do you see do you feel like there are lots of souls in this situation um feeling themselves unworthy condemning themselves keeping themselves here maybe attached to a place or a person on earth and they can't pull themselves away uh well i do only because they are drawn to me cuz they know i can hear them or sense them or feel them or so so i have maybe more of a um experience in regarding to that but in general speaking i do believe people have a beautiful beautiful passing yes mm-hmm. i and wonder you know, if you I, could go ahead so no i was going to say you know in the 5 years that i've been doing the grief with my my clients um there's two questions i ask now you have to remember most of my clients are people who have lost loved ones through trauma and it could be an accident a drowning it could be um suicide overdose which here in in BC Canada we do have a lot of uh, overdoses at this time mm. and i always ask the client after getting to know them i ask them do you think your loved one knew that they were going to die and the majority in high numbers say you know that's funny you asked that question but yes and they might have a story and they tell well you know what he was doing this and then this person was giving his possessions away or this person all of a sudden wanted to contact all of his friends and you know there was something and then the next question i ask is have you heard from your loved ones since they've passed and the majority of them say yes and those mm. are beautiful stories that i have the honor and the privilege of hearing with my clients and hence because there are so many stories uh we have a group that do get together now it's called afterlife conversations where we gather and we talk about the stories 
and we have, um, you know, we, we try and search, you know, different um, experiences that people have had that they cannot explain. But they, they can't explain it. But in the heart of hearts, they have a knowing. They have a knowing that that experience was real. And they have a knowing that it was from their loved one. Natalie, I wonder if you could tell uh, the listeners about your the uh, twins you miscarried. Sure. Um, after my near-death experience, after my second near-death experience, I had two little boys, and I did not want to come back to them. And um, so I had to work with a lot of guilt. And I was told it was not my time to come back. A couple of years after that, uh, I had the experience of meeting my daughter before she was conceived. And, of course, I was elated because I've always wanted a daughter. And what I wasn't told, though, was that I would miscarry twins. And uh, I was shown and, and told that I had a boy and a girl. And the boy's name was Conrad. The girl's name was Dakota Cheyenne. Her animal spirit was a wolf, and her aura was purple. And at the time, I thought, well, you know, I'll get that information for the boy later, because I wasn't really receiving that. So I end up miscarrying the boy, and while I'm still pregnant with the girl, uh, my son, who is who was five years old at that time, he comes to my room at about 3.34 o'clock and he says, Mom, um, I saw a wolf in the trees. And in my household, we talk about death and dying regularly only because it, it, it's not just the talk I talk, but it's the walk that I walk. Yes. And he um, looked outside, came into my room, and I said, Oh, okay. Well, I said, well, what made you get up? And he says, well, I had to go to the bathroom. And I said, well, did you go? And he said, yes, but there was a, a, a body of a dead girl on the bathroom floor. And I said, oh. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to lose Dakota Cheyenne. Mm-hmm. And then I, I proceeded to ask, well, was she happy or sad? And for a five-year-old little boy, he said, mom, I don't know because I couldn't see her lips. But she, he said, but mom... She had long black hair and a beautiful purple dress. Within that week, I miscarried her at home, but I saw the light come for her. And I was very interested. I had not had this experience before where, um, I mean, I had, I saw the light when I had my own near death, but not with um, anyone else's at the time. And so the light came and I felt her leave. And I tried to chase that light, and I couldn't. Oh. And um, so then, in those days at nighttime, I could ask my guides a question and have the answer by morning. And, of course, my answer was, or my question was, why would I see the light come for my daughter and not my son? And what I was told was, you had never received the soul of the boy, but you did have the soul of the girl. And she is here on Earth, but she just has not come through you. And I haven't met her yet. I don't know if I will meet her in my lifetime. I'm mm. hoping I would, and I'm hoping that 
somehow we will have a connection if I were to meet her. Um, yeah. So, it, it, you know, there's so in that ex- instance, I kind of felt and, and saw her passing. Um, there are other situations where uh, those close to me have passed, and I experienced their passing as well. So uh, my mom, for example, had suicided. And it was a couple, oh, probably good three, four weeks later, um, I experienced her last 24 hours. And people say, oh, my gosh, that must have been so traumatic. But from my perspective, which once you pass, you know, to me, it's going back home. I witnessed why she did what she did from her perspective. I witnessed it from her eyes. It was like I had gone into her body and I could see what was going through her mind. And it really helped me understand why she did what she did. So the um, the grief was much easier. Yes. Tell us um, the process uh, you go through when you're quilt making and and helping people uh, transition at the same time. So what I noticed was as people were passing that were uh, fairly close to me, I was able to uh, sometimes have them come to me and, and either tell me a story or let's say they were stuck and they needed helping to pass. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a particular example. We had one woman in hospice, an amazing lady. In fact, I would probably call her uh, the closest thing to an earth angel that I've ever come across. And um, she she did pass beautifully, but she wanted an art piece made so that I could use her story to teach death and dying. And um, during her stay at hospice, she had uh, these little pieces of scotch tape on a table that would roll onto the bed. Many hospitals, I'm sure your hospitals have these too. And so one day I walked in and I said, oh, what's with the scotch tape? And she says, well, when the angels come to visit me, they leave feathers. And I looked and attached to every one of the scotch tape is a feather. Now, I have been with this hospice since it opened, and the cleaning lady and I are very close, and we thought, okay, there's got to be something in her room that has feathers in it. We've never had a story like this on the hospice floor. And as time went on, no, we didn't find anything, but meanwhile, she's collecting more feathers. Now, this is a woman who had no visitors, no family, and no friends were coming to visit. One day, I walked in, and all the tape was gone. And meanwhile, during this time, I had gotten to know her more and more. And I said, oh, what happened to your feathers? And she said, one of the nurses thought they were garbage and threw them away. And I thought, oh, I'm so sorry. But then she pulls out her drawer beside her, and inside the drawers are a bunch of feathers. (laughs) So she does pass. The next day, we found the biggest feather, and I was very privileged to have had to have this feather but then weeks later she uh okay i'm gonna backtrack a bit at one one time she looked at me held my hands and said i'm going to give you a gift 
And uh, with that, um, hopefully you'll understand it. And while she was giving it to me, I didn't understand a thing. In fact, I didn't feel a thing. And I thought, oh, my God, you're really losing it. Like, you're supposed to be, you know, feeling this. But it wasn't until later um, that she came to me and she wanted her story on a quilt. And um, along with her story, and every time I was working on her quilt, I would always hear the music, I'm going home, going home, tell the world I'm going home. And I always envisioned her quilt to be white on white. I envisioned an incredible, beautiful, long angel wing. And as time went on, the quilt got heavier. And it got heavier, and I had orbs that were put into the quilt and butterflies, and, and basically it's, it's her lying on, on a bed, passed away, but it is her enormous wing. And um, so, yeah, so as time went on, we, we produced this quilt together, and uh, I do have the, the keeper of the quilt. I am the keeper, and I do teach through it. Um, having said that, after she had left the process, there was another woman who came in to the room in, in Seoul, and she happened to be uh, the cleaning lady's mother at the mm. hospice. So she had a message for me, and then uh, she had certain things put on the quilt as well. And then, and I'm, I'm giving you just a brief synopsis. of I'm not going into details or anything. But after she left, my room was filled with souls in their late 20s, early 30s. I did not recognize any of them. And I felt that I was so filled and squished, I could feel my shoulders being squished by hundreds of souls in my room. And I thought, I have no idea who you are. And they were laughing and telling jokes and, and just having a great time. And they said, we are the souls that have passed on the hospice floor, and we want you to tell the nurses and the doctors and the volunteers how thankful we are and were of the work that they do on that hospice floor. And they wanted to tell me jokes, and they were laughing, and it was, I don't know, I think 3 o'clock, and I mentioned to them, okay, I have to go to school and pick up my daughter, but you can stay here and party all you want. And the reason I didn't recognize them was because when they came to hospice, they were older. So I, I did not know them when they were in their prime, right? So yes. I go and I leave and I, I'm in a truck and I'm picking up my daughter. And again, in our household, this is nothing unusual, death and dying. And I'm laughing in the truck and my daughter says, what's so funny? And I said, Annalise, you won't believe this. I said, but there's hundreds of souls in the truck. They came with me to come pick you up. And there's a woman who came in between me and the steering wheel. And she's looking at me. And I can see her morph from a young, early 30s to 40s, 50s, 60s. And she's getting older and older. And she looks to me and she says, can you please let me drive? I've never driven in my life. <laughs> so it was very funny to say the least. And then when I was going back towards home, they they did leave the truck. Oh, Natalie, this has been wonderful. We're we are out of time for today. 
But uh, how would listeners get in touch with you? Do you have a website you could, uh, or a place where they could see your quilts? Um, currently, I do not have a website. It is in the making. Um, but they could email me. Um, and I think you have my email address there. Yes, and I, yes. I, I can give that uh, to them, but why don't you say it? So it's Natalie, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E underscore Miller, M-I-L-L-A-R, at yahoo.com. Very good. Hey, Natalie, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, I think people will be fascinated to hear your to hear your story. Um, mm-hmm. If any of you out there would like to hear this again, just go to our website at nderadio.org and and hit the past shows button. For information about IANS, go to their website at iands.org and be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern for more NDE Radio. This is your host Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>